Dan Klug, thank you so much for joining me today. Taylor, thanks for having me, man. What's happening? Not much, man. I really love the fundamental sound. I found you on Instagram, and you're doing all instrumental Grateful Dead covers. What inspired yes. that project? Um, well, first of all, I'm glad I found you. That was kind of the uh, idea of that project. Um, so it's kind of had a, a bit of a like kind of path um, of like changing kind of what I'm what I'm doing there. But basically, all started I. Um, I hired a, a dude for a gig a couple of years ago in another band I was playing in and we were just like kind of rapping before rehearsal. And I was like, what have you been up to? And he was like, oh, just working on my Instagram. This is like 2016, 17, somewhere around there. And I was like, what do you mean working on your Instagram? And sure enough, this dude had like 30,000 followers on Instagram. And it just kind of like blew my mind about like what you can really do in like this digital marketing internet world as a musician these days. So I said, you know what, man, that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to do my own thing and figure out how it goes. So I've been doing that since um, the actual channel has been live for, I don't know, four or five years or so. But um, it started off as like just a place I like post all of my ideas um, production wise and like basically what I'm listening to on vinyl. Um, it's kind of morphed into what it is now, which is like this instrumental soul kind of thing. I still post what I'm listening to on vinyl. Uh, but like it, it, it's kind of like as I've gotten like a little more like uh, handy with like video editing, I've like kind of come up with my own kind of style of like one video, but me playing everything in the video. So as we were talking about before, it looks like it's a band that it's not doesn't exist. It's me playing everything, just some video editing techniques. And um, the instrumental soul stuff is just music I love. It's 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 like kind of like what I wish i could like listen to more often if that makes sense and i think that's like why i make it it's because i enjoy it um and then the grateful dead stuff you know i was like posting music on there i did like some covers that people liked and then a friend was a friend of mine was like dude you should do a grateful dead song i was like yeah sure so i did uh i got a deal first and like it just like took off people were like this is incredible this is awesome so back to like finding you i think more people that are into that uh, found me because of it. It got to the point where I put a whole album out and um, it's been going really well. Album's been out for uh, two months or so. It's doing pretty good on the streaming side of things, selling some some downloads off my Bandcamp site too. So yeah, the channel it's kind of like progressed over the years, but it's been like a cool experience for me of like not only finding like a voice for a project artistically but also like learning about digital marketing and the internet and finding out what works and finding out what doesn't i don't particularly like social media to be totally honest with you but when it comes to like a business entity to kind of get people into my music world i'm fine i, I don't have to leave the house like i can do this and like have fun with it it's all good well dude listening to you like i, I can't remember what, what the first one i heard was but I saw the clip and I'm like, oh, shit, this is cool because I like the Grateful Dead. I wouldn't say I'm a deadhead, but I know all the songs that you covered. And then as far as the kind of music that I like to listen to and I like to play, it's that instrumental soul kind of Minahan street band, L. Michaels affair. I'm super into all of that. And totally. it kind of combined those two things. And the thing that sticks out to me about like that particular band that your band, the fundamental sound is your right hand is Jerry Garcia and your left hand is Bob Weir. <laughs> wow. I've never heard someone say that's a really, really strong compliment. Thank you so much, man. For real. I've never, I, I would not say that about myself, but if you want to say that, thank you very much. <laughs> 
Well, you're playing all the melodies and the solos with your right, and then you're doing those Bobby comp parts with your left. Yeah, you know, that's that's um, <clears throat> starting with the left hand. The left hand, that's just the jazz idiom, you know, seven chords and extensions and, you know, um, making like, you know, the Grateful Dead's music, like particularly the music that I cover is like very like blues rooted. So like when it comes totally. to playing the blues, it's not complicated conceptually to play, but it's very hard to do well. In my opinion, I think that's the thing about blues and soul and even just the idea of swing in general and jazz, for instance, it's like, Oh, this is like a simple blues standard, but like it can, it can be painful to listen to people play that stuff. If they are not like really in time, if they're not really vibing off of each other, if they don't, I think understand that like simple music, does not mean easy it just means less complicated in my opinion yeah it still takes a lifetime to play it really well and i think like that's why i've been you know i've done like a lot of like jazz you know education and training and things like that and i've gone to the the ends of the earth with like you know the the, the harmonic complexity and things like that and i always just come back to the blues because i just like the way it sounds personally so back to like the left hand side of that stuff it's all the, the progressions conceptually aren't very complicated but back to what bobby does really well he just he does voice leading that's really simple but sounds really good and feels really good he has an incredible feel uh, i i think just throughout the bars um not always playing the downbeat but also coming right back to it when you feel like you haven't heard a downbeat in a while if that makes sense and i think that's like what groove and swing can be and then now, on the Jerry side of things, on the right hand, you know, uh, jazz piano is like, you know, a, 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 another love, a love of mine. And like, on the, like on that side of the soloing thing, like McCoy Tyner and Bill Evans, and um, back to like more like blues folks like uh, Horace Silver and Bobby Timmons. Those are like really, really like big inspirations for me. But when I was listening to like doing this record and doing like the dead stuff, I was listening to a ton of Jerry Garcia just because, and then, and not trying to like bite his licks per se, but I wanted to sound as close to like a pianist who has listened to the Grateful Dead playing yes, Jerry it's... Garcia versus like, just like doing the stenography of like, you know, Jerry's solos, which back to like, you know, the dead conversation. I'm also not a big deadhead. I really love the Grateful Dead, but like I respect that world to the point to identify I'm not a deadhead. <laughs> and yeah. I say that out of, out of respect for people who like really know every single Jerry Garcia solo, note by note, lick for lick, year by year, depend month by month, you know. Show like, by show. Yeah, like I, that's not me. And I respect people who are like that. Um, so back to like this this project and that was how that the Jerry side of things worked. Like it was a cool thing to listen to all of that, take enough of it, I think, to make it, like you just said, it's a huge compliment. Again, thank you for saying the right answer. <laughs> like Jerry, but also I think making it my own and kind of adding in a little bit more of like the, my own licks personally, but also like, again, these are Grateful Dead songs for a reason. And I wasn't about to make them like not sound like that. And I think that's like the idea of any kind of cover song or cover record you put out. Absolutely. So again, thank you for the third time. It's a huge compliment. Yes, yeah. Well, <laughs> it, it, they're meant to they're meant to to be jammed on. You know what I mean? And yeah. The other thing that really stuck out to me the way you were playing bass because there is no groove like that with the Grateful Dead because um Phil Lesh, he's really a very melodic player that plays off of Jerry a lot. And like the way that you're doing the bass and drums, which I love, I fucking love it. Um, th there's just this this groove 
you know what I mean, that sticks right in there. And then the fact that you're keeping it a trio as well keeps it super simple. So there's no harmonic clashes. Cause I even feel like guitar yeah. for, for that trio would be a little too much. Totally. Yeah. The, the trio point was intentional. Um, I play guitar a little, I compose on guitar, but I can't play guitar like I play piano or the bass, honestly. Um, so like, I wasn't even about to try it. I, I like fooled around and, and thought around with, like hiring someone to play guitar on it but back to your point like i think the simplicity of it made sense i'm not like opposed to somebody coming in and doing something in the future but they would really need to um i think like add to my piano playing without me changing my piano playing to be totally honest <laughs> I, I also like i'm not that great of a pianist either i can't like on a whim like change a different key and play everything the way that i do as, as much as uh, it sounds like i might be able to so they would have to like really be like in that world of like hey man i'm gonna do this and make it sound uh unclashing like you just said so yeah it, it's it's an interesting thing and on the bass man like it's, it's james jamerson i love him he's my Fuck favorite yeah. bass player i just love everything he does every record he's played on is just so killing and like you know it, it, other people have like hit me up it's like hey dude can i hire you for this bass gig i'm like yo i don't play the bass i just listen to james jamerson i can do studio sessions like my hands are not in shit. i can play the bass for a half hour before my hand cramps up and like my fingers are like raw like i'm not like rehearsed to do that you know but i have an ear for it because i just love the motown sound and jamerson in general and just everything about like to groove just like how like percussive he is what he like i was talking to a friend of mine about this it's like if you play the wrong note in like a jamerson style session like session or groove or whatever or, or whatever gig it doesn't matter because you can just half like slide it up and it sounds like jamerson like yeah because like he's just like just like half half step down or up or full step whatever oh run on run no just bring it up and it sounds funky like that's that like that thing so yeah man it's i, I love the bass i i like to get a lot better at it um but again like my fingers are raw when i play it so i have to do a lot more shedding i think what kind of strings are you rocking on your bass um i honestly don't know thick ones are they <laughs> i got my sorry go. are they rounds or are they flats rounds definitely dude you gotta you gotta rock some flats bro so dude flats back to the are thing. where it's at i'm exclusively <laughs> a flats player are you are you a bass player yeah, I'm a bass that's, player. That's, that's your main cool. Yeah, yeah, man. So I, I'm not. I, I, I compose on the bass, and I, I know what I like to hear. Um, and I bought. If you notice in the, like some of those videos, that some people comment on it. I bought a Fender Jazz, a lefty Fender Jazz bass, flipped upside down and set up righty. So the cutaway is on the wrong side. So like I can go like way up on like the low E, but not oh on, shit on the G. So yeah, it's funny. Like people are like, "What is up with that bass?" I'm like, "Yo, Craigslist fine man found this really sweet man in East New York when I first moved to Brooklyn, and he sold me his jazz bass for like three hundred bucks. And oh shit, super nice guy. And it's been the same original strings. I've had it for eight years or so, and I tune it, but it never. It's a well made instrument, and like it sounds good. So again, I didn't put them on there, but. They kick my ass whenever I play it, which means I need to get be a better bass player. Fuck yeah. No, I totally know what you mean. Yeah. <laughs> it's the, the great thing about bass in general, like I just changed the strings on my bass maybe three or four months ago, but before that it was three or four years. Cause flats, have you ever played flats before? Do you know what they feel like? 
I, I'm, if I have, I wouldn't be able to tell you the difference, to be honest with you. That's how much of a novice I am when it comes to bass strings. Even guitar strings, too. I play more guitar than I do bass. And I'm just, I'm just, I have never done that. I just play, and if it hurts, I stop. <laughs> so flats are actually better on your fingers, too. The strings are completely smooth, like an upright jazz bass string. Oh, okay. And those are what James Jamerson played, was flat wounds. Uh, see, so, like... I got some work to do. Yeah, like bassist came stock with flat wounds until sometime in the 70s. So like if a player was playing rounds, rounds weren't as popular uh, yet in like the late 60s. There were some players that did it like John Entwistle from The Who and even yep. John Paul Jones from Led Zeppelin. But like Paul McCartney, he was all flat wounds. It's like, like Paul Jackson. Uh, from Herbie stuff, like he probably sounds like, like kind of like jazz style, right? Like he might have been a flats player, but some of that jazz fusion stuff, that's when guys started getting into round wounds a little bit more. Oh, gotcha. A okay. lot of the, 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 like the round wound players from that time period too, like they, they were all jazz players who switched, switched over and they would put the fucking round wounds on their bass and start slapping and popping. Yeah. Yeah, I got I got to look into that more. But dude, the the, the bass is I, I love it. It's such like a I don't know. Like again, drums is like my main instrument or original instrument, I guess. And like the the, the rhythm section is just like I'm just drawn to it. I I, I definitely know what I like, what I want to hear when I'm composing this kind of stuff. Uh, and I should probably look more into the tones of these strings, like you're talking about. Figure out like so I can actually say to a bass player, "So do you play flat around?" And let's talk about the era and why. <laughs> But yeah, dude. My interviews been, aren't, aren't typically aren't that like uh, that in depth. It's like, hey, you want to play this gig? Hundred fifty bucks. Let's do it. <laughs> I'm telling you, man. I I always joke and say that half the reason I ever got any gigs in Nashville was just because I I was the only guy who had flat flat wounds. <laughs> um, because like when when you when you hear it, it's such a distinct sound, especially live. And like a lot of players, they complain about flats live. Uh, because they're like, oh, you can't hear it. It's like, well, turn your tone knob all the way down and you're fine. Or turn it all the way up. There's there's yeah. a science to it. There's a science to it. Like, like anything, man. And, yeah. and that's part of being a professional musician, too. It's like being able to do that, like troubleshooting on the gig. Like that's part of being a pro. Yeah. And I mean, it depends on the kind of room that you're in, too. And totally. what kind of sound person you have. Yeah. Or you don't have. Yeah. Very true. <laughs> So you live in Brooklyn. What is the scene like there? Um, yeah, I live in Brooklyn. I've been in uh, I live in Fort Greene. Shout out to Fort Greene. Love it here. Been here about 10 years. Um, scene in Brooklyn is really, really happening, man. And it's New York. So I think, uh, you know, I moved to New York uh, actually to play jazz drums. So like I was like pretty, I was hustling pretty hard when I first moved here, just like seeing what was going on. I've been less like, out and active recently because I've been doing more production stuff. Um, but I, there's, I know there's, there's way more things happening that I even know about, which I think shows that the scene is alive and well. But I think like the way, the best way I would describe like New York's music scene, whether it's whatever you're playing, is like this. Uh, a guy I used to run a jam session I used to go to in Brooklyn said this to me when I first moved here. He was like, New York is this place where any artistic period that you are interested in exists somewhere. You just have to find it. If you want to be an Ornette Coleman, like 60s avant-garde dude, 
that's happening. If you want to do, you know, uh, beatnik poetry, that's happening somewhere. If you want to do, you know, early 80s speed metal, that's happening somewhere too. So like the point about, I think, New York and the scene is like, everything has happened house music like for just like it's huge so anything you want to do here is happening you just kind of have to have the nose to find it i think the best way to do that is um honestly in a weird way like back to social media like everything is online these days so you can find something happening somewhere just go to a club and meet some people and figure out where the hang is after the hang you know and then just kind of go from there so yeah I, i think for me like my experience has very much been like more in the jazz world um but also exploring all the things that the York has to offer, which is a lot. And it's a lot of fun. Go stay up late because last call is 4 a.m. And sometimes you go later than that. So those those days are, are tricky, those Sundays. But it's all good. What is the jazz scene like in New York? I, I always hear it's unparalleled to, to anywhere else. How would you describe the jazz scene? Um, You know, we were talking about this before. I think there's like different tiers to like, you know, the jazz scene in New York because you you definitely have the top 1% of all jazz musicians in the world living here and making a living. And you can see them, you can see Ron Carter play in a room with 50 people in it. Like on a Tuesday. He's incredible. Like, yeah, there you go. He's like like a Juilliard, like, I don't know what the right, the highest level of professorship, whatever the term is. So anyway, like those people are here and like they've been here for, you know, 50 years. So that is happening. There's also, you know, back to what I was saying before, like people making a living, not doing, I think, um, that whole thing. There's a lot of educators here, too, um, that are doing like just to like pay the bills, I think. And also because they're probably pretty passionate about it. It's like education path and also like playing probably less gigs, but as many gigs as they can. Um, then, and then there's like up and coming people, which is like probably where I've been my entire career, to be honest with you. Like probably why I don't like go out too much anymore is like I get calls for, you know, when I was like really like more like prominent, like like visible in the jazz world down here, I was getting calls for shit like, I don't know, every couple months, not making a living by any means. So I've always had to like have a day job and figure things out as best as I can. And it's all good. But I I think back to the point is that like 98% of jazz musicians, I think in New York, eh, 90, 90% jazz musicians probably live in that world where I'm at, where not that they're not, they're working way more than me. Don't get me wrong, but like, it's hard, it's hard to make a living on, you know, uh, a a gig like a couple times a week because you're getting, 150 bucks or something from you know a restaurant that's it's not enough to pay right you know what i mean it's just yeah me. especially <laughs> it, depends, it depends on like where you live so but anyway so the point is uh, with that said like you know i think jazz to me and i think like probably to most people who do it too it's not about like making a living sometimes it's about the artistry and just learning even though i haven't made a lot of money i've grown so much as a musician and as a drummer and as just a, a listener as a pianist as a, as every as everything to, to you can really describe as like what art should be or an artist should be i think versus you know having the financial backbone to it so whether you are whether or not you're making a living doing this here which many people are many people aren't trying to make that happen um i think everybody is growing just because there's people from all over the world coming here every day to see if they can make it in new york and and to me like that was a similar reason why i wanted to move here i want to see if i can hang and like i've had really good nights at jam sessions in manhattan and brooklyn and queens i've had really bad nights Uh, and like that's like part of i think like the world of jazz is like you walk into a room they call a song you either play it well or you don't and you when you go home it's like all right 
how did I do tonight? And like, you kind of come back and kind of, you know, take your lumps and go with it, but it makes you better. So I, I think everybody here, I think back to New York in general, it's like everybody here is really good at what they do, whether you're a jazz pianist or a lawyer or a, I don't know, uh, a, a subway conductor, very good subway conductors here too. <laughs> so just like everybody's like, it's a tough place to live. So you have, have to be like, you know, able to survive here doing something well. Um, and even if you're not like, you know, the top billing person, doesn't mean you can't learn a ton. So that's my take on the jazz scene. And I think in a much simpler answer, it's alive and well. I think a lot of people like critically say, oh, jazz is dead. It's like, fuck that. Come to New York. Like, come. Like, there's so there's so much energy here around this music and the art form and the respect for the history and people being a part of it and passing down knowledge to the next generation and things like that. That It's a really beautiful thing. Um, hard to survive financially like all of New York is. But uh, again, it, it's it's definitely alive and well. Yeah, well, it it's really seems like a lot of musicians that are like that top upper echelon of jazz players in New York, they go and do tours in the rest of the world and they make boatloads of money. Like Japan, for instance, Japan loves American jazz music. Yeah. Same thing with with UK and the Europe, Europe as well. But um, Japan, like I think. Blue Note has like a venue there and also like yeah, in Tokyo, right? Yeah, a, a piece of their label there as well. There's like a Blue Note Japan or something like that. Yeah. So there there's ways to do it. I think with musicians, we've been not well, yeah, forced, I will say forced to learn how to use social media in order to try and make a living because back in the the 40s, the 50s, the 60s. 70s 80s basically anytime other pre-internet anytime pre-internet as long as recorded music was around you did have to wait around for like a gatekeeper or somehow get through that but the the benefit of today is that there is no gatekeeper you're just trying to reach people directly and x number of people x number of people who will see you will like you totally it's not going to be yeah. everybody but you don't need everybody you just need your people I, I totally agree. And I thought about this a bit too. Like if I was in New York in the sixties or the fifties or whatever, and the time frames you just mentioned, like what would I be doing? And like, you know, I'd probably be out of my house a lot more. Uh, not that I wasn't before when I moved, when I first moved here again, I was doing a lot more, but I think I'd be doing more like the networking side of things. I'd also be like, you know, like the fifties, sixties area. Like I'm like knocking on like Tin Pan Alley's doorstep. Like, Hey, I wrote these songs. Like, Here's the sheet music. See if you like it. Like Carol King, shit like that. Like that. I don't need that. I, I've never heard of anybody doing that. Tip and out doesn't really exist. There's like a well, at least in the way it used to look. Um, there's like a uh, like a what is it called? A plaque like on the sidewalk. I think it's on like 28th Street in in Manhattan where it used to be. But anyway, yeah. Like I, I think I thought about that a bit and like in the context of the internet and like it's not so much like again like I'm not the biggest fan of social media, but like this is like the era we're in. So it's either like go knock on doors that don't exist or go stay out all night as long as you can and meet as many people as you can, which you, the second scenario there is still possible. And I do that from time to time, just not as much. Or like get this global audience like from your phone and from your house, from whatever you need to do and, and see if it works. Or like it's not going to work and that's okay too. Like, and I think that's like kind of the advent of, you know, the internet right now. But I think like I'd be curious to hear Miles Davis's perspective if he had social media. 
Yeah. I think, well, he would. He would. I, be, I think he'd say, "Yeah, I'm fucking on social media. I don't have to leave my house." I think. I think anybody would be like, "Yeah, like well, you, this is what I do because like everyone has a smartphone and I can get I'm fucking Miles Davis. I have 10 million followers. You know what I'm saying? So like you can make money off of this. People make a good living with this kind of stuff. So I think that, that it's not so much I think about being a nerdy social media internet geek. It's about taking advantage of the t- of technology of the times. And if you're not doing that. In my opinion, like you're, I don't know, it's up to you how you want to live your life as an artist. But I think there's a lot of mass communication tools out there these days. It's up to you what you want to do. And I think anybody who's trying to make a living as a musician from any era would probably say something to that effect. I don't think Miles would like social media either. <laughs> but like, I think you get my point. Like as a tool, get my shit out there. <laughs> Absolutely. He would, he would be controversial, I feel like. Yeah, he'd be swearing a lot. Yeah, talking a lot of shit. <laughs> Do you know who Chuck Rainey is? Um, yeah. Why do I know Chuck Rainey? Bass player, famous Bass player. session player. Uh, played with Steely Dan, Aretha yeah. Franklin. Yes, 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 yes. Um, That's I why. listened uh to a, a podcast where he was being interviewed, and he was talking about the era that he was coming up in in New York in the in the in the fifties, and in early 60s it was it was really cool to hear because he was basically decided early on that he wasn't going to be a road dog he wanted to be exclusively a session guy and just Uh, be in the studio all the time which you can't you can't do that now but like you're saying you kind of have to be more savvy with with the fact that you do have this technology and there's a little more work before it was still difficult and there there was still networking and all of that. But if you were a good enough player with a good enough reputation, you could go to the musicians union and they would book your gigs for you. So if you're Steve Gadd, you could definitely do that. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's, it, yeah. it was a different era. And I think like what you're talking about, I think the constant there um, is that like, you know, quality art, quality music, quality, anything. will I think always find uh, an audience, whether it's now or later is like kind of, up to the eye of the beholder but i think to your what you're talking about if you're a professional you show up on time you play the shit out of that bass and like you play it the way like that you play it like yeah like that's a good recipe for success um it doesn't mean like it's a guaranteed kind of thing like anything else but like give it a shot if it works out god bless you right <laughs> if it doesn't like i don't know do what i did start an instagram following i have like five thousand people who follow me which i'm very proud of but like that's small potatoes in this world of influence and your shit, which I'm not really trying to be. I'm just trying to sell some records and get some gigs. Hey, you know what? That that is the dream, though. Is that not the dream? It really is. I don't even make much money on my music career, but I'm so happy with it, man. Just to be like totally honest, it's like people like my shit. It's like, oh, it's just so awesome. Like, and, and then again, like back to Grateful Dead, like the other model, like outside of jazz, just get in a van and drive around and play to empty rooms Fuck across that. the country. You know what that's like. Every musician knows what that's like. You know, until you're the Grateful Dead and you're selling out, you know, stadiums and shit like that. But that took a long time for them to do. And, you know, there's times in your life you can do that where, like, you don't have a ton of responsibility and you can take risks. And there's times where, like, you got to kind of figure shit out. So I, I back to the idea of, like, the Internet in general, I think it's given a lot of people as musicians opportunity to do things um, that maybe they wouldn't be able to do. And I'm very grateful for it, even if I lose money every year uh, playing music, but have a great time doing it. And people find my stuff and enjoy it. No, I, I feel the exact same way. It's like, I've been doing this podcast for a couple of years now, in addition to the, the music stuff I do. And 
over time, it's been really crazy because it was like the first year that I did the podcast, there was like 150 like streams the entire year. And now it's like, it's a lot more than that. That's awesome, uh, dude. Yeah. That's like, yeah, you release music and like you and your friends hear it. You're like, huh, that took a lot to put out. <laughs> but you get a little momentum with releases and it starts to make, make, make it happen, which is good. Exactly. And it's, it's like you, the other model that's interesting to today that I can parallel like back to the fifties and sixties is we're, we're in a singles market again. I mean, I'm, yeah, I'm an, I'm point. an album geek. Don't get me wrong. And I think the album you did was great, but a, as far as like artistic statement, I totally believe in the, the album still Arctic monkeys did an album that, that they just released and I, it's fantastic. I love it. But for the most part, like if you're a brand new artist trying to be like up and coming, you're going to release a couple of singles first, then maybe an EP, a couple of more singles after that, and then an album. And half the songs you already put out are going to be on that album. Totally. It's, it's so funny you say that because like I was thinking about that the other day. I was talking to a friend who's like a producer and he's like working with this dude. And he's like did like a 12 song album. And his plan is to release each song as a single every month. And then release the album on like the 13th month. And like the point is like and again, like I get it. We're in this world of like TikTok content. Like you need something happening every couple of weeks or every month or something to keep people engaged. I think it depends on your genre, for instance. Like, you know, I think jazz will always be jazz. No one I don't know how many people listen to jazz singles. Like, you know, I don't know. The bad yeah. plus put out put out a single, I would listen to it, but like they don't they put out records, you know, it's like an artistic. <laughs> yeah, but, you know, sure. if you're if you're a rapper, if you're a rock band, if you're a DJ, if you're a producer, if you're whatever, like, you know, like that has this like constant consumption kind of world, which is like a lot of modern music. These EDM, for instance, like, you know, yeah, it's a singles market. You're totally right. Do a remix to something and put it out and that'll be that work on your record. If you want to make a record, some of these guys don't even have records and that's OK. They're touring the world, playing huge parties, making money. It's all good. They don't need records. Well, yeah, they they don't need records, and often they don't release them until they're already like getting ready for their first arena tour. You know, what totally. I mean? Like yeah. I remember when when I was a kid growing up, like my first concert was was Fallout Boy. Oh, nice. That was, that was two thousand four. I was thirteen. Like Fallout Boy and My Chemical Romance were all the rage. But looking back on it, like Fallout Boy was a headliner of the tour, and they they had a good draw. But there was four other bands on that show. It and it was like it happens to bands on their way up, and it happens to bands on their way down. You know what I mean? <laughs> like like it, it was yeah. like All American Rejects from first to last, which which was Skrillex's band before he was Skrillex. Um. Hawthorne Heights, I don't know if you remember them, but they were like a screamo band. By name, yeah, yeah. And then this other band called The Hush Sound, but none of those bands could have, including Fallout Boy, even though they were the biggest biggest band in the world at the time, they couldn't have sold out an arena, like a small arena on their own. But all of a sudden, you put these four other bands on the bill with them, and it, it seems way bigger. Totally, man. And it's it's funny you say that because, like, you know, back to the Grateful Dead stuff I've released, it's like, you know, I like the Grateful Dead. I like the music, but it's also a way to draw people who are really passionate about music into my world. And it's a similar thing with, it works with me. me. 
Yeah, thank you. And again, like back to like the 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 touring thing too. It's the same thing. It's like okay, like there's reasons that like you know uh, uh, Wu Tang toured with Rage Against the Machine. You know what I'm saying? Like they respect each other, I think, as artists, but they also have two entirely different fan bases where they can get these people into the same room and cross pollinate and get different users, different people to be interested in what they're doing. So like, there's this world of like music promotion. And that goes from the live concert thing that you were just talking about, even down to like the remixes or the covers that you really see too, that all at the end of the day, probably like accomplish the same thing. And that point that you made, like when you're coming up, when you're coming down, it's typically when you have to kind of do that kind of stuff, unfortunately. Yeah. So it, it's all good. Do what you got to do to make what, make what you have to have happen. I'm no hater. Don't get me wrong. Me um, neither. Dude. It's, a, it's a hard life, man. It is. Uh, t- talk to me a little bit about your label room sound records. Yeah, man. Uh, so Room Sound Records is my label, as you just mentioned. I just set it up. Um, it's not a um, I, I like to call it like a Motowny kind of label with A and R and a Barry Gordy type. I am the sole Barry Gordy A and R musician producer, In the Funk Brothers dancer, Funk. Yeah, I'm the only person on the label. But the idea is basically just to have a place where my music and my projects can live. So back to like my path as a musician, I initially like still uh, in, in new york pursuing jazz drums um but like i have a lot of like production side of things that i'm doing as well so i have the band the fundamental sound there which is an instrumental soul trio i play piano and i do all the i do all of the recording uh, of all the instruments on the records to bass and drums and piano but when i play gigs i hire out bass and drums then a band i lead called the consecutives which is like an acid jazz kind of funk band which has been my baby for many many years and i love it i play drums in that band and i hire out keys bass guitar and percussion when i can hire somebody and then i have the century band which is like i call it like uh, an american rhythm rhythm and blues songwriting kind of project um just an outlet for some songs that i've written that i really like to do i love being in the studio too so the idea of that band has got to have different heads and different locations and different singers particularly because the fundamental sound uh, consecutives are all instrumental um but be part of that and have those productions happen so yeah man it's been fun to get set up it's kind of like the landing base for everything that's happening in my music career right now which i'm really happy with it's also reasonably new it's been online for like three months or so and the lo-fi grateful dead album is the first one uh, i actually released people are starting to see it so um yeah it's going well so far and back to being you know over 30 as a musician like you kind of got to figure out what's going to happen and like i, I was understand. like Listen, i'm just going to set this up and see what what goes on so yeah i'm making records which is a record label so bam room sound records exist well it was it was for me like i turned 30 um last year and i had like this moment of like why the fuck am i like still playing all these all these gigs and don't get me wrong i'm grateful for all the bands that i played in all the music that i made but i was like long term this is not sustainable plus i knew i was never gonna be the dude who's like yeah i want to get in a van and play like a minot north dakota in the middle of february i want to sleep in my own bed and i would much rather just record music and record my podcast and produce records than do anything else and it's like now i'm to this point to where i'm setting my life up in that way and it takes time because it's like a, a, i hate it when people say this but pivoting you're pivoting 
Yeah, it, it's it's it's. I, I definitely agree with the term pivot for sure. Um, but I, I also think like the way I've been looking at it is I like the skills I have is as a musician, and you know I play, the I play instruments like that's my skill. I I write songs like I have a unique perspective I think. Um, but like back to the other pieces like digital marketing is also a skill. You know, uh, it is rec record production is also a skill. A business mind in the label world is also a skill. But these are just things that you need to learn. So back to what you're talking about, like that's how kind of I was looking at it too. Is that like a musician, as much as, um, as much as like a lifetime of diligent practice, you need to commit to your instrument to even be close to I think what real professional musicians are. Like it's reasonably one dimensional. Like and then you have to be really really good to be Pino Palladino. And get the call from D'Angelo on bass, <laughs> you know, or and John like, Mayer, or John Mayer, like, and like, John Mayer, and like, there's like, yo, like, there's a reason he's that, like, that he's that good. So, like, he's you gotta, like, and, and like, I don't think people should be, myself included, uh, like, not thinking they're on the same level as Pino Palladino. You just gotta challenge yourself to get there. But like, it's a tricky thing to do, particularly you know when there's a lot of other avenues you can explore. I think in this musical media world as well so yeah man, i think your podcast is a great idea the other like world i was i've been like trying to break into as well as like the sync licensing world with music that's a big big industry you can get your song placed in you know a popular you know tv show or movie or something like that that's a that, people make a living doing that and yeah it's not box money totally it's they totally get a check, that's right? what they call it, it in nashville yeah, 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 man. I have some friends wrote, wrote some jingles. It's yeah. really good. Um, ways to make money and kind of figure it out. But yeah, it's a pivot. And I think that's, you know, the world's changing too. Back to social media. Like people who are like forward thinkers in this world are going to get there first. And you got to figure out like how that's going to work for you. I've never really been a forward thinker when it comes to social media, I don't think. But like I'm trying to figure it out. So yeah, I, I, I can relate. So you grew up a, a jazz drummer from what it sounds like. That's always been your thing. Um, actually like rock is like how I grew up. I really, oh, studied, okay. I really studied jazz much more when I was in college, when I got out of college, but yes, like I've always had a affinity for the drums. John bottom was like my first love. Hell and then, yeah. Uh, everything That's in a that good world. First love. He's so awesome still, man. Uh, but it was like, yeah, I like classic rock kind of modern rock, Dave Grohl kind of stuff. When I was like a teenager, I was in a very like fuck school mentality let's start a band let's I was too. <laughs> so like I didn't, I don't think i had like the discipline to really like study drums then i got to college and i was like i still really love the drums i remember seeing like a uh, a free jazz concert in burlington vermont where i went to college and that just got me hooked i was like that's what i want to do so then i really started pursuing the drums from there um and i started like fooling around and composing with the piano and the guitar and um this many years later 10 plus you know here i am playing gigs on the piano in new york which i'm proud about have you ever seen the movie whiplash i have what do you think of that movie Ooh, hot topic um i on one hand very much think it's awesome that the general listener um as bill evans would say the layman listener in, in the uh in the movie world sees all this radical jazz drum i think that's awesome i i think it's incredible that people are like because, like, for me, man, like, when I was a kid, there's this movie, That Thing You Do. You ever seen that movie? Of course. Dude, when he is shedding the drums in his basement, I was like, that's sick. That Like, that's, like, something I've always, like, remembered. Like, thank you, Tom Hanks, for, you know, showing jazz drums to young kids. Like, so I think in that world of things, it's great to have that stuff into the, 
the, the pop culture world of things. There's a ton of like Hollywood bullshit in that movie that is not even close to like <laughs> jazz is or what jazz drumming should be. There's a whole like scene where he like he's bleeding out of his hands. That's and shit the like thing that, that drummers like... <laughs> always say when I when I talk to him like, about that movie. The only time I've like bled it from my hand playing the drums is maybe you could do this playing jazz. Like mainly for me playing rock is like when I like go to hit a cymbal and I strike my hand on the side of a drum. Like the metal will fuck you up if you do it that hard, but yeah. like, yeah, like he's not doing that. He's like, he gets a blister, put the bandaid on it. It should not be gushing blood. So there's some Hollywood stuff there, which I think is BS. This the caravan solo at the end is incredible. That's not Miles Teller playing that, and like, even though him and maybe other people in Hollywood will tell you it is, it's not him because um, you can just tell by the way he holds the sticks that that, that dude's a real motherfucker. I don't know who it is. I thought it was Bill Stewart for a while, but someone told me it wasn't. So anyway, there's a lot of things in there that's like inaccurate, I think, in the jazz drumming world, particularly the music education world, too. Like that guy's not someone I think that would be respected <laughs> um, character-wise. But again, back to it. People like are excited about jazz. Like It's all good. Uh, I think like Kamasi Washington's record, The Epic, came out like right when that happened, like around the same era. So like jazz was like very popular for like 18 months on NPR. And now it's just it's still like, you know, for the people that I think love it, but I think to get more people excited about it, it's all good. But there's some nuances there that I just mentioned. <laughs> I think the thing that sticks out to me about that movie is the pursuit of becoming the best that you can possibly be on your instrument. I feel like that yeah. aspect of it. I think that's a um, very accurate music, music student thing. I would agree with you for sure. Yeah. So like th that's, what I, I love about that movie and that movie is really in a lot of ways, it's almost like a horror movie. And I think that ending, let me ask you this. Do you think the ending was a happy ending or, or a sad ending? Yeah, it's a good question. Um, I've thought about that. I haven't thought about it in a while. I, I Cause the question is like, where does he go from there? Exactly. And that's like the answer. And the answer is like, I don't know, dude, like that was really bad for you, but and I, I, I'm not sure if you've had this conversation with yourself too. I, I, I know I have. Like, I've already put so much time. I cannot just not do this thing. Yeah. You know what I mean? I've done like, I don't know how many hours in the practice room. Like, I'm not just going to stop. <laughs> it's like, plus we probably, love it. And, and I, yeah, I love it for sure, for sure too. But I, I, I genuinely love the music too. But like, I also just look myself in the mirror. It's like, yo, you have done so much work. Like, just keep going, keep going, and something will. Don't you know, quit. Exactly. And like so many people do because like life happens. So I would say TBD, I would err on unhappy ending. Though. What do you think? I think it's a, a sad ending, even though he nailed it. And I think the reason why it's sad is because he ended up getting everything that he wanted. And he arguably, because of that, we see in times of stress, the way that uh, Miles Teller, My Miles Teller's character treated people and it was not very good. So totally. that teamed with the ego of finally succeeding. And he earned Fletcher's respect with that, even though Fletcher tried to fuck him up and take him out. He earned his respect yeah. and they became equals. And I think that was not good for him because Fletcher's not a good guy. He's a bad guy. And like he drove him to be great. Yes. But he also drove someone else to suicide. So, right. Yes, that's not good. <laughs> I think, and it there's a very brief moment at the the end while he's doing that solo, 
where his dad, Paul Reiser's character, is looking at him from the side of the stage and his face is just kind of like in a horror because yeah. he sees like he sees what I think his the son is evil becoming. he's become. Yeah, totally. Exactly. I think he becomes unsufferable after that. He maybe he did get that re- that um that record deal with Blue Note and Fletcher produced his first album, whatever. He became huge in the jazz world. But like they were talking about with his family towards the, the beginning of the movie, they said like when they were talking about Charlie Parker, he died at 34 alone, drunk and filled with heroin. I think that would have been the same for Miles Tellers, character. I like that was the moment that he became that, but he did achieve. He was on the path of achieving that greatness, that thing that, that elusive thing we all try to reach as musicians. And it's, it makes me think of um, Michael Jordan in a way. Did you ever see the documentary, the last dance about Michael yeah. Jordan? Yeah. It's awesome. Love Jordan. Yeah. And it, it, it's incredible. Like it's, he's an unlikable guy. Like yeah, he was like, I'm not like friends with these people. This is, I don't like Larry Bird. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's, it's funny you say that. Cause like, I think of like Charlie Parker, a little bit differently, but I, 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 I agree with parts of what you're saying, but I think like what Charlie Parker did was like not in the eyes of anybody else other than himself. I think that's what makes him such a revolutionary musician. Like he took jazz forward without a teacher telling him that. I think Miles Teller's character in Whiplash was very much trying for the acceptance of everybody. The guy. What's, what's his name? Fletcher is the guy? And, yeah, and, and everybody else, right? But like, you know, Charlie Parker was like, fuck you. I'm playing bebop. I'm like, I'm doing the solos over the changes. Like, how about that? And like, everyone was like, no, uh, swing. Blah, blah, blah. But like a lot of people were like, yo, this is the way forward. This dude, motherfucker. He had his own, he had his own issues with drugs. Obviously, which is not a good thing either. Um, but I, I, I see the parallel for sure. And I think that there's a, uh, I think there's a, a little bit of an obsession, maybe a little bit of a borderline insanity when it comes to music of people being obsessed with it and, everyone kind of has their own way of like manifesting that, whether you're chasing something that like only you can hear or something that you think you need to be, or it kind of figures itself out in some other way. Um, but yeah, I think that's the, the, the mystery of music, which I think is really cool, but also not easy sometimes as you could probably relate to as well. What we were just talking about. Got to kind of yeah. figure it out. Yeah. I mean, I look at, I've been in Nashville for seven years. I actually grew up in Maine right down the road. From oh, did you? Where else? Yeah. Uh, Brunswick. Oh, you're a real Mainer man. You got that snow, snow like nine months a year up there. That's yeah, not 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 warm. <laughs> Lots no. of bugs when it's hot too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm guessing you know. Well, you went to college in Vermont, went to so college you're... in yeah, Burlington, Vermont. So I know that northern New England area well. It's beautiful, but it's cold, man. It's cold. Yeah, but <laughs> um, I can't remember what I what I was gonna say. It wasn't important if I can't remember. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, I mean, growing up, it's like. The, the original dream is that rock music dream. It's like, we're dudes, we're in a band, we're, we're the band of brothers. And even before I moved to Nashville, I was 23 when I moved here. Even before I moved here, I grew, I grew out of that a little bit where I was like, fuck that. Like, it's, it's just not that it's not going to happen or e- even that I felt negatively about it. I was like, in order to do that, you have to live a very, like, go down a very specific path of what we were talking about, of yeah. playing those shows to know people in uh, some podunk town that you never heard of and be on the road and, 
only be able to afford like a McDonald's cheeseburger among five dudes. Totally, man. And I just knew that life wasn't for me. Being luckily, a... go ahead. No, go ahead. Sorry, I cut you off. Um, luckily, I, I was able to find this alternate path because after I got to Nashville, I started this podcast. You know, and that that's honestly been, I think, my north star in a lot of ways, and it's taken the stress off of music because it's like you go through periods of life where you're gigging a lot, you're very active, you're doing a bunch of sessions. And then maybe sometimes where you just pull back a little bit and you're recording a lot at home and actually enjoying music and not worrying about your career. And you're enjoying fiddling around with knobs and trying to get the right sound on the drums. Play new music, you know, and that's the other thing too. Like, you know, you know, the stuff I do now is not, you know, modern jazz, I don't think, but like, that's like my background, but like, you know, I, I compose like disco boogie too. Cause I just like it, you know? And like, back to the point, it's like, when you go down that route of other things, it's like, it kind of puts you in a one dimensional perspective sometimes. So yeah, it's, it's a tricky thing, but you also gotta back to what it is. Like everyone's got to figure it out. I think is like kind of the, the main, sum of it when like, and I don't think any way is wrong. You know what I mean? Just keep going and figure out the way you need to make it happen. But Having multiple things happening for you has been my, I think, like North Star as well. Like, okay, I, I, I'm being a gigging musician in New York City is not going to pay the bills, and that's okay. Figure other things to do so you can do that gigging musician thing here and there when you when you can figure it out. So yeah, good for you in the podcast, man. I, I totally agree with you. It's you got to be kind of versatile these days, and I think you're not you specifically, but I think anybody is like foolish for not taking advantage of what like the internet can give you these days and trying things out and seeing what works. 100%. Yeah. It's, it's truly a a new world that I think we're living in and it's only going to continue to expand the ways that you can make money. There's never been more opportunity. And like, I'm not someone who even really gives a fuck about money at all. Or like, dude, I I've had the same clothes like dude, Straight up, this jacket I'm wearing right now, I've had since I was 17 years old. <laughs> and I'm 31. So, uh, yeah, it's 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 a good point. It's like, I think there's like the the, the life of like pursuing money, um, I think. And, but there's also like reality where the rubber meets the road. Like, how are you going to pay rent? How are you going to get money coming in to get things done? So there, there's this yin and yang and blend of like how that needs to work, I think, in everybody's life. Again, everybody's life is different, but... Again, back to like Miles Davis on social media. Like, there are kids who are like 19 years old making millions of dollars on TikTok. I read Miles' book. He, I think he said he made like 250K when he was like, what kind of blue came out? And like, that, he bought like a brownstone on like the Upper West Side. And like, but you know, like, do that. You think anybody in their right mind would like, you know, really turn down that kind of money? Again, not to sacrifice your artistry, don't get me wrong. But like, there's just a lot of different ways to do this these days. And I don't think any one of them is wrong. I think if anything gets you money that keeps your artistic integrity high and everybody has that own perspective, what that means to them, go for it. If that means playing in a wedding band because you love to do that and they're paying you really well for a summer, go for it. That means making some videos on TikTok and like getting some singles out every month because you're a new, I don't know, singer or something like that. That's fine too. You know, and I think there's a lot of different ways to look at it. Um, and like you said before, there's never been uh, uh, as many options as there are out there. Like I'm selling like records right now. I have a Christmas record, shout out, called Lo-Fi Christmas by the Fundamental Sound uh, on Room Sound. And like I'm selling these out of my apartment. 
Like I have a little label maker that prints the shipping stamp. I have some tape. I have some, you know, cardboard boxes that I throw them into. I get the the orders through Bandcamp. I go to the post office. That's that. That didn't Are, exist. Is it CDs? It's, it's vinyl, actually. I printed it myself. It's vinyl. Oh shit! You print? Did you just send it off to a company and have them do it, or you do it in New York? Yeah, I got it done by a company called Disc Makers. Shout out to them. They're in Jersey. Um, and back to everything in the past two years with the supply chain. It's, getting vinyl printed takes forever. So I was really like, I was like, oh, I'll order them in like this past January and get them done. And they were like, it's, I called it around to a few places that we can't make it happen. Also because of supply chain issues, also because like vinyl is popular. So like all these major labels are buying these record plants. So like you can't get things as much. It's happened a ton of national, I'm sure too. Yeah. But disc makers just came through for me, man. I, I, a friend of mine down the, on, the, on my block who used to be in the music industry was like, yeah, hit these guys up. They might be able to do it. Sure enough, they came through. So, but that, back to the point, like, I don't think many people, even 10 years ago, were like selling things off of Instagram, doing the shipping for themselves in their apartments and putting them in the post office. Like, this is just like a modern part of today's world. <laughs> so take advantage of it if you can and if you can do whatever you need to do to make it happen. And hopefully I'll make money on that. We'll see. I'm still close to breaking even, bro. It's early in the Christmas season. Yes, for sure. <laughs> Ask, where can people find that at? Say the name of the, the record again and where they can find it, where they can find it streaming, all that good stuff. Yeah, so it's called Lo-Fi Christmas by The Fundamental Sound. If you've heard any of my Grateful Dead stuff, it's the same vein of that music, just uh, Christmas tunes. Again, stuff that I just enjoy listening to. You find it um, on my Bandcamp page, The Fundamental Sounds, uh, uh, Room Sound Records as well on Bandcamp. I think it's just bandcamp.roomsoundrecords or .fundamental sound. Um, and on any streaming uh, site of choice, Spotify, Apple Music, wherever you're at in there. Um, but yeah, I'm selling the records through Bandcamp, linked to my site too. So you can go to my website, www.rubesoundrecords.com and explore that too. Uh, but yeah, man, it's been fun because like, you know, I made the Christmas record. I was like, yo, like holiday records always sell every year, right? Yes. So if I'm going to do an LP pressing, I'm going to do this one first. So I got like 250 printed and I've been doing okay with it so far. So yeah, man, if anybody listening is looking for some lo-fi holiday tunes check them out or i always say if you have a vinyl enthusiast in your family that's interested in that make great gifts um so are you gonna release a vinyl for lo-fi grateful dead good question um i would like to um so can you hear me yeah sorry my <laughs> my airpods just died oh, um um Yes, I would like to. The tricky thing is, first of all, the supply chain stuff, I have to figure out when it could come through. The other tricky part of it is um, I have basically like three sides to a record right now because fidelity-wise, like 20 minutes is where you want to be on each side. So what I want to do is probably record a fourth side. I think the the volume just went out i i can't hear you as well as i did a second you hear me now i think it just yeah sorry my airpods died so i'm just switching back and forth um i was saying that there was um i basically have three sides to a double lp right now 20 minutes on each side so i need to record another 20 minutes to make it a full double lp so i think i'm going to do that in the next couple months and make it a only on vinyl the final three tracks uh lo-fi dead stuff people have been asking about it too but i think back to printing records it's like if people will buy them i'll do it uh so if i get enough demand with it for sure are you gonna put uncle john's band on that one people ask about that man that, that song's hard it's, it's I, I 
I DM'd you and I was like, that was the first thing I asked before I even asked you on the podcast. I was like, please do Uncle John's band. There's a lot of like asymmetrical bars in that. There's a lot of like bars of two, random bars of three. So yes, if I can learn it and Jazzy. I can hear, I'll let you know. Uh, I have a couple other tunes I want to do too, like um, uh, Tennessee Jed for the National. Oh, fuck yeah. Like that'd be, I, I did a, a, that one just didn't make the album. I just didn't have time to get it done. So there's a few of them out there. But I'll do it. If anyone has any requests, let me know. I'm not going to do the Terrapin Station Suite. 17 minutes, multiple movements is not what I have in mind for this. But other stuff in that thing, I'm down to do. Hell yeah, man. Well, where can people find you at and where can they find all your stuff? Yeah, probably the easiest way is check out my website, roomsoundrecords.com. Um, there's links to my three projects and all of our social media feeds and where you can buy our records and listen to our records there. Um, and again, that's where... Uh, that's where I'm like basically having as my like digital home base for things. And then where we found each other, the the social media thing that I run uh, probably most frequently is the fundamental sound on Instagram where I post videos and vinyl that I'm listening to. Um, and yeah, so check that out. If you like what you hear. Hell yeah, man. Thank you so much for coming on. We're going to play singularity by the consecutives. Oh yeah. Check that out, dude. Yeah. Super stoked. Uh, keep on dreaming. See you next week. Cheers, man. Thanks for having me.